Welcome to all the subscribers tuning in for our 15th conference call. We're really excited to welcome Justin Goldman, founder of the Goalie Guild, a nonprofit organization aiming to educate and inspire goaltenders everywhere. Goldman founded the Goalie Guild in 2009 with the hope of providing training and scholarships for underprivileged goaltenders nationwide. In the 10 or so years since, Goldman has expanded his nonprofit with the Lift the Mask initiative that aims to eliminate the social and financial barriers associated with mental health and performance care. Justin also serves as an emergency backup goaltender, or EBUG, for the Colorado Avalanche. We're looking forward to discussing several topics with Justin tonight, from the future of goaltending in the NHL to the emergency backup, whose unlikely win for the Hurricanes game gave the NHL national attention. And of course, we'll touch on today's decision by the NHL to suspend operations effective immediately due to the coronavirus. For the new pregame skate subscribers out there, the mission is to provide an easily digestible way for hockey fans to stay up to date on everything going on in the game all in one platform. You don't only get the newsletter, which goes out every Tuesday and Thursday. We also offer original articles, host conference calls, and in-person events. Your subscription serves as your digital ticket to these extra features that will be available on the website following the recording. The calls and live events aim to tackle a variety of topics, providing insight and guidance for those who are still learning about the hockey world or others just wanting to stay up to date and informed. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Do you want to start by giving us a brief synopsis on your hockey background? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. And I have a very non-traditional hockey background. I was born and raised on a horse ranch in Texas, actually, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the early 80s. So I wasn't really introduced to hockey until I was about 11 years old um, in the early 90s when the Minnesota North Stars relocated to Dallas. So that was really my first dose of professional or high league hockey um, that I've ever experienced in my life. And it really totally, absolutely changed my life. Um, I was a basketball player and played lacrosse during those early years. And then as soon as I saw the Dallas Stars hit the ice for their first team practice, the Dr. Pepper Star Center in Valley Ranch, I was hooked. And of course, the first two guys out on the ice are goalies, and it was Andy Mogan, Darcy Wakaluk. And just fell in love with it and, and really gravitated towards the position. It was just something I feel like was in my blood. It just took until I was about 12 years old to figure it out. And so, yeah, really grassroots hockey growing up. It was, you know, part of the first Junior Stars AAA program, first team at my high school, the opportunity to go to a couple of junior tryouts and just realized that where I was at at my age and, and, you know, youth hockey and AAA hockey in Texas was so new and so grassroots that my actual playing was going to be pretty limited in terms of, you know, playing at the collegiate level or Division One. So I really focused on my education and just decided that Colorado State University was the best fit for me. I did get a chance to play uh, a little bit of ACHA hockey, uh, my freshman and sophomore year, and then my sophomore year of college, uh, lightning kind of struck twice. I was really fortunate to be in northern Colorado um, in my sophomore year is when the Colorado Eagles kind of landed in Fort Collins, built the rink, and started playing in the Central Hockey League. And that's kind of how I started my career in pro hockey, you know, as a goalie scout and, and just like a pro hockey analyst. Um, I was studying broadcasting and journalism at CSU, and and that's as soon as the Colorado Eagles kind of landed, I realized I had an opportunity to cover the team and 
the Colorado Eagles were very open to having me be kind of like their first junior reporter. Um, and so that's what started my, my professional career, you know, covering hockey and scouting goaltenders. Yeah, and the Eagles uh, Eagles are now in the AHL. That uh, I've, I've played in that arena. It's, it's pretty wild, and it's a it's a pretty good hockey town. Um, so I can see how you how you kind of fell in love with it there. And uh, they, I'm sure I'm sure you were or know all about this, but they were uh, in the news earlier this summer, I guess, for uh, allegedly stealing the Kelly Cup from when they they were in the ECHL. So it was a kind of a funny story. Yeah, I mean, that that building, the Budweiser Event Center, is amazing because um, the actual Budweiser Brewery is literally only, I think, 20 or 30 minutes up I-25. So they will actually truck in day-fresh beer to the arena, and as soon as, like, northern Colorado hockey fans and sports fans, like, all the CSU students heard that, you know, this pro hockey team, this minor league hockey team was coming to northern Colorado, like, They've literally sold out every single game since that franchise started back in 2002. So um, it was a perfect fit. I mean, sometimes you just don't know how minor hockey is going to work in certain towns. But Colorado is just a great hockey state with, obviously, the Avalanche. But then you've got the three Division I NCAA teams. Um, and it, it worked out so well. And, like, the ownership group and, and all the players that came in those first couple years – it really was a lot like what the Dallas Stars did um, in Texas. I mean, they were competitive right away. They really played a style of hockey that fit um, the community. Like in Texas, obviously, it's all about football, so they want to see that rough-and-tumble style play, and that was the Dallas Stars to a T, you know, in those mid-'90s. Um, and I think the Colorado Eagles kind of did the same thing. They played a style that was really entertaining, uh, they had some pretty good talent for the Central Hockey League, and they had a lot of success. I mean, they've been such an amazing, amazingly successful franchise since they started, you know, moving up from Central Hockey League to the ECHL, now to the AHL. But I think that success they had on the ice and how they really gravitated towards the community in northern Colorado um, has really helped establish them as one of the premier, you know, minor league franchises in the country. Um, and so I was I was very, very lucky, like really fortunate, again, first to be introduced to hockey because of the Dallas Stars, and then to kind of have that happen again in northern Colorado, um, like I said, when I was going to CSU, um, just really fortunate to have that opportunity and, and took it and ran with it. Let's talk about the, the goalie guild, Justin. When, when did you get the idea to start your own nonprofit, and, uh, and how, is that, how has the goalie guild evolved uh, since you did start it? Yeah, so back in, like, 2007, 2008, social media was still relatively new when it came to covering hockey. It was when Twitter was just starting to pop up. Facebook was still relatively new. Instagram, I don't even think, was a thing yet. And just because I was so passionate about writing scouting reports on goalies, I had been doing it. You know, like I said, I started doing the scouting reports on, on goalies in the Central Hockey League in 2003. So after doing that for three or four years, I really just, you know, molded my craft and, and it meshed so well with my major at CSU as a broadcaster and um, a technical journalist and a writer. So just kind of meshing my two passions for writing and, and you know, being a goaltender and observing high-level goalies, I meshed it together, and 
the Goalie Guild was kind of created as just like a really basic blog back in 2009. It was really just a place for me to drop all of my scouting reports and all the analysis and like observations I was making on goalies. And, and that was also, like I said, around the same time that Twitter became pretty prominent as a social media platform. And so I think back then, I was, there really wasn't a lot of people that was just primarily exclusively covering goalies and talking about goalies on a daily basis. And I was really obsessed back then. Like, I was watching NHL games every single night from 5 until 10 p.m. at night, just writing and observing and really absorbing myself in the position and the evolution of it. And that's kind of when I started building that um, following on social media, and people really seemed to appreciate the fact that someone was out there just talking about goalies and giving insights. Um, and of course, back then it was really rudimentary and, um, you know, it was mostly observational, but it allowed me to continue to gain confidence in what I was seeing and what I was saying. Um, and eventually that led to a lot of opportunities from writing for NHL.com, which I did for four years, um, which led to the opportunity to kind of start writing these books with Mike Valley, who's the former Stars goalie coach. Um, which also led to the opportunities with USA Hockey and the National Team Development Program. So, again, like a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time and having that passion. I'm a big believer that passion promotes success in whatever you want to do, whether you're playing or trying to, you know, develop a career in the game in another way. And so I think it was just that sheer passion and that consistency of doing it every day. Um, people started to rely on me for that analysis and, um, it led to a whole bunch of different projects within the Goalie Guild in terms of scouting and analyzing and coaching goalies. And then the big shift when uh, the big shift was in 2015, that's when I transformed the Goalie Guild into a nonprofit foundation. Um, I was working full-time for the family business, so I had that opportunity to start giving back to goalies and doing the scholarships for training and helping with equipment because we know how expensive the position is. And so that's kind of been the evolution of the goalie guild, just kind of started as a scouting and, and a goaltending resource and just evolved over the years into now what is a, a nonprofit foundation for the goalie community. Yeah, you've got a, a number of cool projects going on there. I've followed all, along with uh, one in particular, your gear giver, givers program, right, where, where you're uh, kind of uh, donating a lot of gear to, to some some kids and, and adults in need. And then you mentioned your books, um, The Power Within, Embracing the Grind. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what those are all about and the, the research and work that went into putting those together? Yeah, I think I, I was really lucky when I was um, first getting the Goalie Guild off the ground and just trying to learn as much as I could about the position at the pro level every single day. And I was really lucky. I had some unbelievable mentors that were willing to help me and answer questions and just act as a sounding board for ideas. And two guys in particular, um, one being Mike Valley, of course, who is the co-author for the trilogy, uh, and then a guy like Mitch Korn, who's just an absolute legend. And I'm so fortunate that he was willing to give me the time of day and um, have some great conversations with me and invite me out to some of his summer goalie camps in Minnesota to help coach and stuff like that. And so just 
just by being around those guys and being able to pick their brains, I started to understand um, the demands on a goalie coach at the NHL level are so extremely high, and the same holds true for goaltenders at any professional level, college, I mean, at any level, the demands on goaltenders are so extremely high. And the demands in the physical realm, of course, are always, you know, relevant, but especially at the emotional and mental level, goaltending has a lot of demands and can lead to a lot of issues um, when you talk about mental health and performance. So I just saw, Mike Valley and I both saw a need for there to be some resources um, and some good literature on how goalies can maneuver through a lot of the obstacles and the demands that they face on a daily basis playing at a high level. And so through Mike's contact, you know, back then when we started these books, he was still the goalie coach for the Dallas Stars. Um, with all of the goalies that he's worked with from guys like Marty Turco and Tim Thomas and Kari Lettinen, um, to guys like, you know, even Pekka Rene he's worked with and Richard Bachman, these guys that were playing at the highest levels, really we reached out to them and just said, hey, would you be willing to, like, open up a little bit and share some of the obstacles that you've had to go through, like some of the hard times or maybe some of the triumphs that you've had, you know, when it comes to, you know, persevering and pushing yourself every single day and making it to the NHL level. And they were all about it. And so, again, I think it was something that hadn't really been done before. You know, maybe there was one or two goalies out there, like Patrick Wad written his autobiography, and uh, Marty Brodeur and some other legends have written, you know, some amazing books. But we didn't really see anything that was geared more towards those younger goalies, those impressionable kids that are maybe between the ages of, like, 11 and 16, the kids that have the passion, have the drive, are working every day, but really don't know what it's like um, to have to persevere and have to push and grind it out at that pro or elite level. So all we did was just gather these amazing interviews with these, you know, NHL goalies and, and just talk about things that you deal with on an everyday basis. Like, you guys understand what it is, balancing family life with being a professional athlete. And the interviews were so candid and they were so honest and so raw that it just made for really good reading in a book format. And that's kind of how the power within evolved and that's what led to Embracing the Grind, um, which was the second book. And then last year we published the final book in the trilogy. Um, that book is called The Hero in You. So that's kind of how that trilogy evolved and it was just amazing to hear stories. Like we interviewed Scott Darling about everything he went through with depression and alcohol, and um, he was so honest, and it was so heartwarming to hear him give back to all these younger goalies by talking to us about what he faced and how he overcame those challenges. And so it was a really rewarding experience, a very eye-opening experience, um, and really has you know, helped a lot of goalies out over the years you know, with whatever issues they are facing as, as you know, young athletes. Yeah, and you're, Justin, I, you're, you still do a great job with kind of putting up weekly quotes on, on social media from, from those books. And when you, you see the quotes and you see the faces they're attached to, like you said, the Pecorines, the Scott Darlings, um, it really does resonate with, you know, with younger, the younger generations and somebody like me who's still playing and has a lot of respect for those guys. And, um, 
you know, it, it, it's pretty cool that, that they were willing to open up like that. And it's, uh, it, you mentioned Mitch Korn. He was, uh, he was, I went to his camps, uh, since I was maybe nine years old and he is a huge part of my career, but I had already read the power within, but when I, uh, first signed with the Hershey bears four years ago, um, he would, all the younger guys, he would, he would give it to them as an assignment to read. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a great thing that he is doing. And Mitch is a great guy. He's a great hockey mind. Um, and really, really awesome, awesome books, uh, for the subscribers out there who haven't, haven't, uh, haven't read them yet. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Mitch is, Mitch is an absolute legend and how he approaches the way that he works with goalies it's always so refreshing because he, he does such a good job of not only motivating you, but he's also like the guy that's always in your corner. Um, and I think everyone can learn whether you're a goalie coach or just maybe you're just coaching baseball. Like you can learn so much from his approach because he'll kick you in the ass as you know, but he's also going to give yeah. you the biggest hug <clears> when <throat> you, you know, have success. Um, and he's also very candid. So that was the thing I appreciate appreciated most out of Mitch is like he will tell it to you straight man and um, you don't always get that honesty with a lot of coaches so I think that's just one of the reasons why he's so well respected by everyone he's worked with over the years yeah he uh he started telling it to me straight when I was nine years old <laughs> he would uh yeah he he was not a lot of filter and I I think uh that's kind of a great way to to grow as uh grow as a goaltender is to, you know, not, not be baby, even when you're, when you're a younger goalie, because you're not going to be babied when you're in the net and you're, you're getting lit up. So, um, so you mentioned the, the, some of the, the goalies talking about mental health. You, you've extended the goalie guild with your lift the mask platform that related to mental health. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I feel like, pretty much everything I've done for the goalie community over the last decade is just because I see the need for it because it's not there. We, we, you and I know that goaltending is a very underserved and underappreciated position. Maybe it's starting to change a little bit now just because we have a stronger voice than I think ever before just because you have guys like Robin Leonard and Scott Darling like willing to open up and share what they've been going through. Same thing with guys like Corey Hirsch, um, guys that have, you know, Ben Meisner, these guys that have really come out and published article, articles or written stories about some of the trials and um, trauma that they've been through. But that was it, man. Like it was two years ago and, and it was um, Bell Let's Talk Day and I didn't realize at the time that that movement was really catered for Canada. Like, I, I didn't know. It was just something new to me that I hadn't seen before. And so I started to do the research, and I was like, oh, that's, that's an amazing movement. Like, they're raising so much awareness for mental health. This is so important. I've written these books about, you know, goalies dealing with um, the mental side of the position. Um, I really wonder, you know, I'm asking myself, I wonder if there's any resources out there for, for hockey players that might be dealing with anxiety or depression or any type of mental health issue. And I started to do the research, and I wasn't really finding anything. It was a little eye-opening. You know, there weren't any major foundations at the time that really stood out when you would just do that basic Google search. And I totally know about 
the college campuses, and a lot of college programs will have, um, obviously, your counselors and your, your mental performance consultants. But I just didn't really see anything far-reaching in the hockey community. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, I'm not really finding anything in the United States that's focused on hockey players and their mental well-being. It, man, there's probably not there's probably not anything for the goalie community either. So here we go. Like I see a need and a, a hole that's got to be filled because so many kids are dealing with these things at younger ages than ever before, and that's where Lift the Mask was born out of. Um, it was just a simple sketch and a simple idea at the time, and and since then it's completely taken over. Um, what we do on a daily basis at the Goalie Guild Foundation and really I've become so passionate about you know not only learning how to help goalies help themselves but also just how to manage it on a level where we can continue to give back to goalies that can't afford professional care. I mean whether you need to go see a doctor for um, you know, a busted knee or you're dealing with the loss of a loved one and it's affecting your ability to play hockey and be happy, goalies need to be able to, to afford the care. They need to be able to have direct access to professional mental health care workers or professional consultants. And so that's really what the program is catered towards. We offer, you know, our foundation will offer up to $100 per individual for goalies that cannot afford it or maybe they don't want to talk to their parents about it yet, but they want to talk to a, some professional. Um, we provide that platform where they can reach out anonymously and if they need the funds, um, we're going to give it to them so that they can get that professional health care. Because... Lord knows I'm not a professional when it comes to these things. Like, I'm a mentor, and I love to help goalies any way I can. But I started to realize the same thing that I think a lot of goalie coaches and a lot of head coaches realize is, like, maybe they see a goalie that's struggling with something, and they know that goalie is having a hard time, and he or she is down on their luck, or they're dealing with something or showing signs of anxiety or something that's serious. But instead of going up and actually saying something to that goalie, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, so they don't say anything at all. And that's, that's really tough, and that's not what – we don't want that. Like, we want coaches and parents and even teammates of goalies to feel empowered and feel confident enough to be able to actually go up and say something like, hey, man, I know you had a tough game. Like, let's talk about it. Or, hey, I know something's going on in your personal life, like, just letting you know I'm here for you, man. Like, I'm here to help. I'm here. Like, I'm showing you some empathy. I'm showing you that I care because not saying anything is the worst thing that you can do. Um, so, again, that's, these are all reasons why I felt like it was so important to, to kind of pivot a little bit with my career and what the Goalie Guild was all about and really start to, to make that accessible um, and kind of curtail, like, kind of, mold the education that I'm providing and the resources that I'm providing to be more centered on mental health and performance. Yeah, it's an amazing initiative, and it's it's something that for the longest time people, like you said, were scared to talk about, and so it's, it's great to see that people like you are helping, uh, you know, start the conversation and, uh, you know, hopefully more and more kids that are struggling with, with mental health issues will will, uh, will be willing to to 
go forward and, and talk about them with someone and, and it's awesome, awesome stuff that you're, you're providing the funds and, and a, a platform for them to do so. Yeah, and I think for me, like me personally, it was always really easy to talk about these things because I never played at the highest level. Like I never was, I didn't grow up in a traditional hockey environment, right? Like I never was really faced with the extremely high competitive nature of youth hockey like it is now. And I know a lot of goalies have really different experiences, but because I think I wasn't really ever forced into that, it was really easy for me to see how big of an issue and how big of a concern it was um, because it was easy for me to open up. Like if I wasn't feeling good or I wasn't having, you know, a great game or whatever, um, it was easy to kind of reflect inward. And I know for a lot of other goalies and just a lot of people in general, that's not easy. Like self-talk is really important. You need to stay positive with, how you treat yourself first and foremost, and of course with how you treat other people, but sometimes that can be really hard. And I, again, I kind of go back to the fact that, especially today at the youth level, the competitiveness is so insanely high. Um, and it's just not always the healthiest for young goalies that their brains are still forming and they're still learning about themselves and they're still discovering who they are as individuals and they're always constantly changing. So I think it's just really hard when you have that ultra-competitive youth hockey lifestyle um, to really be able to open up to your parents or open up to your coach because you fear of being judged and you fear that you may lose playing time. And we all know how important it is, like, when there's only two spots on a roster, you're either playing as a goalie, you're either playing or you're not. So I think there's just a lot of cultural um, influences as to why, like, goalies deal with these things. Um, and so that's all part of it is just like being able to have a conversation and open up and say, dude, yeah, I'm not feeling it today. Like I'm not having a good day. Um, maybe let's talk tomorrow or whatever the case may be. There's just so many things that can impact your performance. And um, I learned this from both Mike and Mitch, actually. They taught me a really important lesson, you know, when I was first starting my career. And it was you play the best hockey when you're happy. And I think that that doesn't just hold true for goaltenders. It holds true for everyone. Like, you always play better when you've got a smile on your face and you're loose and you're just having a good time with the guys and girls. So, you know, how do we ensure that young kids are as happy as possible and it's just having conversations and letting those those kids know that you're there for them and you're not just judging them on how good they stop pucks or how many saves they make or how many wins they get. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and speaking of, of playing while you're happy, uh, there was a, a feel-good story in the NHL a couple years ago, David Ayers uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes, the emergency backup who was thrust into, into a game against the Leafs, who he's practiced for, I think, dozens of times, uh, gives up the first two shots and and then ends up getting the win. Uh, what was what were your initial thoughts when you saw David enter the game against the Leafs? I seriously thought there's no way that this is happening again. Because yeah. when when Scott Foster went in, I remember everything about that night so insanely vividly because I was like, there's no way I will ever, ever see this anything like this happen again. The odds are so, so slim. Um. 
And so I was amazed at just the fact that it had happened once. And then I was amazed at how well Scott did and how well he handled the media and the whole um, insanity surrounding the fact that he went in and made some pretty nice saves. So then when I saw that, I was actually on the ice. I was actually playing one of my games when David got on the ice. And I got off the ice, and my buddy's looking at his phone in the locker room, and he's like, dude, I think another emergency. And I was just like, there's no way this is happening again. Like, you've got to have it wrong. Like, maybe he's just on the bench. Like, no. Like, I didn't believe it. And then all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up, and I'm like, holy, holy shit. Like, it's happening again. Like, this is unbelievable. And then I started to tune into the game and saw what was going on, and it's just, the odds are just so slim. You, like, you don't even believe it's happening. Um, But then to see what really did it for me and what really like like really made me super happy was after David got the win and he came off the ice and he was getting interviewed and it was hockey night in Canada. He had the towel around his neck. Um, he said something that was pretty profound and he said that one of the players, I think it was Eric Halla, went up to him after he gave up the second goal and said, Hey man, I don't care we don't care if you give up ten goals. Just just play. Just have fun. And like for a guy like Eric Hall, like in the heat of the battle, in the heat of competition against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who they're fighting with for a playoff spot, for him to actually have the empathy to go up to David and say that, I think it's absolutely amazing. Like I think it just shows you just how grounded and humble and like great hockey players can be. Because it's so easy to just turn around and be like, who the hell are you and what are you doing on our ice and this is a gong show. But to see the teammates and the Hurricanes rally around him and play hard in front of him and, you know, cheer for him after the game in the locker room and do all of that was unbelievable. But that quote from Eric Hall, I think, really resonated with me because I think as an e-bug, like, that's what you want. Like, you know you aren't necessarily talented enough to be playing at this level, obviously, but you're thrust into this situation. You're thrown into it. You're probably running on crazy adrenaline and you're just hoping for the best and so to get that vote of confidence from the player in the game after giving up a couple of goals I think is amazing so that was really what like stuck with me that night yeah and just an amazing story on so many levels but playing against Toronto where he's the Zamboni driver Justin you're you're an emergency backup for the avalanche what what would that be like if you if you went into a game and you were facing the avalanche, there, it would obviously Any, be a, a little bizarre. Anyone but McKinnon. Like, no. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, man, these guys shoot the puck so hard. I mean, Parker, you know, like, these guys are so accurate with their shots. They're, they're so good. Um, when you watch the game from the stands or you watch a game from the press box or you watch the game on TV – it is nowhere close to what it's actually like on the ice. And I learned this firsthand the very first time I was on the ice with an NHL goalie. And that first goalie, that goalie was Anders Lindback. And I'll never forget it because it was after Anders Lindback had a pretty rough season with the Nashville Predators. And all you heard in the media was how he wasn't good enough to play in the NHL. Um, He's not talented enough. He's too loose. Like, doesn't move well, all these negative things about his game. 
And I didn't really believe that at the time. I knew he was talented or whatever. But then I got on the ice with him and saw him go through, you know, just a one-hour session with Mike Valley. And I was blown away being on the ice, grabbing the video during that session, and just how insanely good he actually was. Like, you just don't really understand. You can't really perceive it until you're actually on the ice. But he's a freak of nature. And so that is something that I will always hold on to, that experience going from just always watching, like, on TV or press box or whatever, scouting games, to actually being on the ice with a guy at that level of that caliber, just how different it really is. And so that's the thing I always hold on to as an e-bug is, like, like, these guys are way, way better. If they want to score, they will. If they want to find a spot, they're going to find it. They're going to pick it. These guys can do whatever the hell they want. Just look at Kale McCarr. I've had an avalanche goalie tell me that he's amazed at what McCarr can do. Like, McCarr can do anything he wants. He is so gifted, so talented, so good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's – I'm not afraid to admit that as an emergency backup goalie, the thought of actually having to go in definitely gives me anxiety. But <laughs> even though I, you know, even though I haven't played beyond like college club hockey, I've also been studying the game and reading the patterns and learning and watching and imagining what it would be like to, to be thrown into that situation. So I feel like if it did happen to me, it would hopefully, like I feel confident it would be a lot like Scott Foster and, and, and his experience, because he's the same age as me. He works a daytime job at an office just like I do. And, yeah, he played, you know, NCAA hockey, but we're just two guys playing at a high level of beer league hockey, like just trying to live our dream and, and stay healthy and, you know, play the best of our ability. So it's always a really interesting discussion because at one point you're like, there's such a huge gap between where I'm at and what an NHL player can do. But at the same time, like, some pucks might just hit you if you're just in the right position, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, but no, yeah. I, I don't want to be facing Nathan McKinnon coming down the wing at any point in time. Like that, that, that would be, um, scary. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I play professionally and that would scare me too. <laughs> um, and it's, it's really cool just in the admiration that, that you have. And I think, uh, I think that's why it's it's been so fun to watch, you know, Scott and David in there because, you know, it's hockey guys that just love the game and, and it's really cool to see them, them get get their moment like that. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, like, and real quick, I'll just make the point, like, there's been a lot of discussion about changing the rules and stuff like that. And, I mean, e-bugs are 2-0 and and, yeah, there's, you know, every team handles it a little bit differently and there's, definitely guys like me that I think most fans would be like, dude, you didn't even play juniors or NCAA hockey. Like, no way you're good enough to be an e-bug. But I think all these guys that I've talked to that handle the position, they're like goalie coaches. They're committed. Maybe they haven't played at the highest level, but they think the game at a high level. And they train as much as they possibly can while they still have their full-time jobs. So... I feel like the current e-bug crew that's out there is good enough, um, but we'll see what the league decides to do, you know, as the years roll on. Yeah, and that's such a great point about reading the game, especially in our position. Uh, we're not ripping up and down the ice. If, if you know, a lot of the more technical goalies aren't aren't uh, quite as athletic, I would I would definitely put myself in that category. But but 
studying and learning how to play and, and be efficient, that's, that's in many ways the biggest thing. And, and so, um, I, uh, I will say with confidence that I, uh, I believe in, in the current system and, and hope that it's, it stays the same the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we understand how important it is to be able to read, read the play and read the game. And it's amazing how simple you can make things if you really are good at that. Um, I see a lot of younger goalies that have blinders on. Like, we know how much emphasis there is on tracking the puck, which is great. You need that. And head trajectory is a thing. And um, everyone's got opinions about what that is and how you teach it on the ice and in different situations. But I feel like, at least right now, too much emphasis is put on tracking the puck to the point where I think a lot of younger goalies forget that there's a flow and there's patterns that emerge when plays coming at you. And so being able to actually read situations and read plays and read hands and eyes of skaters and what their feet are doing and what their hips are doing, like all those visual cues are so important to being able to stay in position and be set and square and ready. So, like, I'm a big believer in game reading and um, moving beyond just over-focusing on that puck because I, I see a lot of that ultra-puck focus, and then a lot of goalies are getting beat laterally, and it's like, how did you not see that coming sort of thing? Um, and so that's always something I look for when I'm scouting goalies is, is how good they are at just reading plays and seeing potential threats as opposed to just always being so locked in on the puck. Yeah, it's such a fine line. You you run the risk of becoming overly robotic, and I've definitely definitely seen goalies have that happen to to them. And whenever you're transitioning to this head trajectory, all this sort of thing, there's definitely there's a big learning curve. It I I uh, was fortunate enough to work with Scott Murray, and uh, he helped me revamp my game, but there was definitely this two-month period where I was just so awkward in there. I didn't know if I was supposed to save it with my shoulder or my arm, and uh, it, it definitely takes some takes some getting used to, um, to to find that happy medium between tracking and attacking the puck and, and kind of being more patient uh, and, mm. and leaning into it. Mm. Uh Lastly, before before we let you go here, Justin, obviously a, a lot uh, a lot going on in the hockey world today. The NHL announced that they're going to suspend play, as did the AHL and the ECHL. Uh, a number of European, actually, pretty much all European leagues have canceled their seasons completely. I think the only maybe the only two leagues still going as of uh, right now when we're speaking is the KHL and the SHL in Sweden. Uh, so what are your thoughts on what's going on right now in terms of uh, the completion of the 2019-2020 NHL season? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I try and feel as much empathy as possible for guys like yourself that are playing and are having seasons cut short. I couldn't imagine what that is like. Um, extreme frustration, anger, resentment, a lot of different emotions, I'm sure. And just today, I've, you know, just this week, I've been talking to goalies that, you know, there's a lot of college goalies that are not able to travel to nationals because of this thing. And it's, 
uncharted territory for everyone, which I think lends credence to why extreme measures are being taken or what may seem like extreme measures, but when it comes to fans and players, like health and safety is always paramount. And I think as players, like the goal is to just try and understand. Doesn't mean you have to be okay with it. Doesn't mean you're not allowed to be angry and upset. It's just trying to help goalies understand that the world is a very different place today and it's, things happen. You can't control this whole thing. And I think what the NHL is doing, at least, to take these precautionary measures is smart because if you, if you do it now, if you take extreme measures now and you mitigate the length this virus might take to work its way through the population, maybe you can still salvage a playoffs in June and July and, and, and play and still award the Stanley Cup. So it seems really extreme because I feel like this has all just kind of popped up over the last couple weeks. But I think it's really important for, you know, listeners on this show. And, again, this is I'm, the same thing I tell all the goalies that have reached out to me that have really been struggling with this is, like, organizations also have to be kind of like goalies. And as goalies, we want to be resilient, right? Like, when things happen, you want to be able to push through it, you want to be able to grind it out, you want to be able to adapt to your situation and find a way to thrive when things are rough. The same holds true for organizations and leagues and teams. Like Organizations like the NHL have to be resilient. When something like this happens and you're forced to make a tough decision, you've got to be able to adapt and you've got to be able to communicate with everyone in charge and communicate with staff and teams and GMs and owners and everyone involved in hockey and be able to act quick because if you don't act quick it could get worse so like i i honestly feel like the nhl has actually done a pretty good job of watching what the nba did recognizing that you know everyone has got the potential to possibly get sick some are more you know prone than others but for them to act as fast as they did and now already be looking at how can we potentially salvage the season and when can we get this thing rolling again, that's, I mean, that's what you hope to see. And I think I'm just, a, a, you know, I'm just opining here. Like, this is just my opinion, but I feel like if they would have waited even one or two more days, it could get a lot worse before it gets any better. So it, it's got so many layers to it. There's so many things going on. Um, there's so many emotions that go into dealing with something like this, and because it is all uncharted territory, you know, everyone's going to have a different way of looking at it, and everyone's going to have different opinions and, and thoughts on, you know, how serious is this thing, and is it too much, or is it not enough? And, and that is where I always come back to the same thing. Like, as a goalie, as a player, as a human being, you've got to have empathy. You have to understand that everyone's going to see it differently. That doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that you can't have your own opinions or you can't have your own thoughts and feelings. It's just understand that other people are more prone to getting sick than others. And, like, that's, if you can have a little bit of empathy and compassion for others that might be dealing with certain situations where family members are sick or, or older parents are prone to getting sick, like, you'll build, you'll build some really good relationships and you'll gain some really good 
you know, um, perspective on life and it will really help you because in times like these, like relationships and friendships are the most important thing you've got. Like your family and your friends and the people that you're around, like this is a terrible situation and it's really, really tough, but at the same time, like humans are going to bond with each other. Like we're going to learn how to get through this together. And if we get through it together and we support one another, we'll be back playing hockey quicker than you think. But again, it doesn't make it any easier. You know, like I, I couldn't imagine what you're going through and what a lot of these, all these players are going through. Um, so you just try and understand and you just try and observe and, and see where you can help out and what you can do to make a difference. Well, Justin, I, I can't imagine saying that any better than you, you just did right there. And um, that's, you know, I, even for me right now, it's, like you said, it is a tough time. And um, just hearing everything you, you just said uh, was super helpful to me uh, in, in terms of putting things in perspective. And just from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. It's, it's so, so cool and so refreshing to see and hear someone with such passion about the game of hockey and the position of goaltending, especially from someone who is, has dedicated their life to that. So, so thank you for joining us, and, and we really appreciate you sharing all, all your insights. Oh, man, no problem. I mean, it's um, the same, same for me with you, man. Like, I have utmost respect for any goalie, any professional hockey player, anyone who's um, trying to achieve their dreams and um, really enjoyed when we got to spend some time together in Boston. I know it was short, but like I said, it's all about um, the relationships. Like one more Mitch Korn reference here, like taught me a very valuable lesson. Like people are more important than pucks. Um, and that's been a big driving force in my life through everything I've done and making these connections and having these discussions are important. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about these things because um, I don't get the chance to do that every day. So yeah, thanks for having me on, man. And um, hope to join you again sometime. <laughs>